Build your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters Podcast on international business. We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Welcome to the Culture Matters Podcast. We are on episode number 27. Our guest this week is Teresa Knapp. And Teresa Knapp is the Director of Program Development for International Student Exchange. She has been in the field of student exchange for the last 25 years. We talk extensively in this interview about what kind of students come to the United States for this um, six to ten months exchange program if they want to stay why they want to stay and Teresa has um, an enormous amount of stories that she's going to share in this podcast so make sure you listen all the way to the end it's time for this week's guest at the culture matters podcast here's your host Chris Smith good morning Teresa how are you well, I'm doing wonderful. How are you? I'm doing really well as well. Uh, really glad to have you on the show. Um, again, a different angle on this uh, Culture Matters podcast. And we're going to dig into that uh, a lot deeper as we progress in the interview, of course. But first of all, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to the audience? And so tell us a little bit like where you're from or uh, what's your cultural frame of reference and what else other stuff that we should know um, about you well i am from troy idaho Uh and i have worked with exchange students from all over the world since 1990 okay i have posted them in my home i have worked with them by placing them in families across the united states including alaska Mm -hmm. i have helped them through cultural difficulties communications helping the kids be successful and helping the families be successful it's been an amazing adventure in learning about the different cultures and and learning about why people act and react the way they do Uh uh-huh okay all right well we'll we'll talk about that of course in a moment as well tell us a little bit what uh, about what your organization does the international student exchange that's what you're called right Yes. Yeah. And what we do is um, we are uh, we're we're approved by the Department of State. The we there's certain guidelines we must follow, and we're under the authority of the Department of State. But what we do is we bring in high school students, 15 to 18 years old, mm-hmm. from almost 50 countries now, mm-hmm. and we place them in families across the United States. And then we help them adapt and become part of that family for five to ten months during the school year. Mm -hmm. The kids come in and they come in in about August or September and they get involved with the sports. They get involved with clubs. They basically become part of the family and become an American teenager. They get to experience what it's like to be in a small town, large town across the board, Mm -hmm. what it's like to be in a high school in America and what America is really like compared to what they've seen on TV. Is there there a lot of uh, uh, discrepancy between that? Oh, yes. Most of the kids are placed in small towns. Uh I mean, for me, Troy, Idaho is only 700 people. 
Right. That is a small it, town. Yes. It is. It is. And it was funny because I had a, um, a German daughter this last semester mm-hmm. and she was from Hamburg. And she got here, and she's just kind of shaking her head, and she's like, <laughs> Mom, you realize that the size of this town is the size of my school. Yes, <laughs> that is amazing. So how does it react then? For most of the kids, they come in, and the first thing is, is shock. I mean, they go from these huge cities to being able to travel anywhere they want to, by train you know it's so quick and and they come into these small towns where mom and dad are driving or their host siblings are driving Mm -hmm. they can't get where they want to go as quickly as they'd like to all they see is a lot of nature and so yeah it's a bit of a culture shock i can imagine i can imagine what what kind of um students do you get i mean you said 50 countries 15 to 18 years old that's uh, that's about the age bracket that you uh, that you have are these like typical rich kids no i mean some of them and it really depends upon the country that they're coming from mm-hmm. because most of these kids are going to be what we would consider middle class kids right um there are programs that um, provide scholarships for for some kids that couldn't afford it otherwise. We even have some kids, especially from Germany and Denmark, would be the two countries that I've experienced where the kids have worked and saved the money to become an exchange student themselves. Yes. Okay, that's uh, that's pretty neat. And and can you describe a typical student? What do they look like? I mean, not physically, of course, but you understand what I'm getting at. They look like little alien teenagers with great <laughs> big eyes and just scared to death. It's so cute. When you first pick them up at the airport, I mean, they're so tired anyway yeah. because most of them have traveled a lot of hours. Mm-hmm. And they cried a lot because they don't know where they're going. They don't know who they're going to. I mean, mm-hmm. they've got the information, but they've never met them. They have no idea what the town is like or what the family is like. And they've left everything they've known for everything they don't know. Yep. And so they, they're like the deer in the headlight look. <laughs> Paralyzed. Yes, they are. They are totally, totally shocked. Okay. And, and are these, these like entrepreneurial kids or is this, this, uh, this must be, I mean, I guess if you're 15 to 18 years old, this is, this is by your own choice, I guess. It is their choice. It is their choice um, for the majority of them. It's something that they've always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And it's just, or their parents did it. And so they encourage their kids to do it. So, yeah, it is by choice, though. Okay. And and how long does, does this stay in the U.S. last for? Well, for the most part, five to ten months. There's a few kids who only come for a semester. Um partly because of their school, like my German daughter, she could not stay more than a semester or she would have lost the whole year and had to repeat it. And so, but the majority of the kids come for 10 months and then you have those that, um, yeah, they get here and they fall in love and and they don't want to to leave their family or the area and so they'll stay an extra two months. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. But no more than that. Okay, that's, that's actually my next question. Do do these? Do you call them kids? What do you call them? Young adults? I call them kids. Kids. Okay. In fact, what I really call them is munchkins, and oh. they all they all know that that that's what Teresa's going to call them. What 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 does that mean? Munchkin. 
Yeah. That's someone that's not old enough to be an adult and too young to be a child. So is I that call a, them is, is that a Teresa word or, or an existing word? It is a Teresa word. <laughs> better, it get, is. better get used to it. So my next question would indeed, or actually was, was going to be, do these kids ever want to stay and do they get a chance to stay longer than just the one or two months you just uh, mentioned? Yes. Some of the students will, um, especially like your Koreans and, and your Chinese, mm-hmm. they will come over here with the idea of getting into a college. Mm-hmm. And so if, if they're like 17, then they will work on transferring from a J visa to an F visa and going on to college here in the United States, mm-hmm. sometimes staying with their families. Um, I have... I have, in fact, I have three Albanian students who came one year right after the other, and they were in Montana, mm-hmm. and they absolutely fell in love with their families. Their families fell in love with them, so they started going to college. They got their F visa and, and went to the University of Montana, and then they would come home for the holidays, and they are still very connected to their host mm-hmm. families. Who, who who pays for this? I mean, maybe a very blunt question, but going to an American university, I mean, first of all, this, the stay that they do with the family, how is that financially uh, covered? And if they stay on and go to a college or a university, that's hugely expensive in the U.S. It is, and it's it's two different programs, really. Mm-hmm. The Our program, the students are going to pay the program fees. They're going to pay for their airfare, and um, they have their own spending money. They pay for their own school supplies, toiletries, clothing, anything that they want or need. They're going to pay for themselves. Being on the program, the program is legally responsible for them, not Mm -hmm. the host family. Mm -hmm. The host family is totally volunteer. They get no compensation for it. Well, okay. They do get from our wonderful government. um, They can claim $50 a month on their taxes for a charitable contribution. But that's it. That's not much. So the students, the host families are going to provide meals. Mm -hmm. They're going to provide a bed and they're going to provide a family. The kids have their own medical insurance. So anything medical, that's taken care of by being on the program. Right. When they decide to go to university, then the cost is entirely their families, their natural families. Right, the home, the home family, that is. Exactly. Yeah. So the host families, some host families will allow the students to remain with them. Um, others, you know, they're still their family, so they'll go and stay at the university and come home uh-huh. during the holidays and stuff. But that is totally the expense of the natural family. Okay. So that, that's that's you would still then not expect somebody from, say, the favelas of Rio de Janeiro or Calcutta to to come over and be able to do this. You know, it, I've had a few Brazilians do this, uh-huh. um, very few, but it, yeah, it's going to be mainly those kids who, for whatever reason, desire to attend the university here in the United States. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do do these kids ever ever get homesick? Yes, they do. Can you tell us a story about that? And what do you do about that? And what are they homesick about? Oh, for what reason are they homesick? You know, it 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 really um, varies. For some of the students, they'll come in in August, and it's just such a drastic 
culture shock mm-hmm. that um, they become very, very homesick. They just, they cannot make it. They just, they, they just want to go home. Most natural families will immediately say, no, you have to stay because understand that with the J visa, it allows them to live with a family free of charge. Mm -hmm. It allows them to attend the local high schools free of charge. But the J visa is only good from the ages 15 to 18, and it's only issued once Mm -hmm. in a lifetime. So once it's issued, you cannot get another one. So if you get homesick and you go home and then you think the next year you're going to try it again, you won't. And so the natural families will, will push that they stay. Most of the kids... Over a process of time, for example, I had a a, a German girl a few years ago. She was placed um, down in Nampa, Idaho, and she got here, and it wasn't three weeks, and all she wanted to do was go home. And so I went down and met with her. We took a couple of walks, and, and I encouraged her to take it one week at a time. Well, she was so homesick that um, she basically burned the host family. The host family was was tired of it. And so we convinced the natural family that it probably was best if she did go home. Mm -hmm. And so we moved her to a family um, just temporarily Mm -hmm. so that we could get everything put into gear and get her her home. Well, She fell in love with the family, and the family fell in love with her. The second family, the second host family. The second family, yes. All right. So she decided she wanted to try it, and the host family wanted to give her the opportunity. Uh And it really was a month-by-month deal for her. I mean, it was she she did very, very well. She Mm -hmm. made friends. In fact, she did so well that the family had um, a son that was about the same age, and then they also had a um, woman that lived with them that had the mentality of a Mm -hmm. 10-year-old that they took care of. And she fell in love with that woman. I mean, she took care of that woman like a little sister. Mm -hmm. But she also set the family down because she got really frustrated in the way they communicated with one another. And so she set the entire family down, and she took a spoon. Mm -hmm. And she said, we will now have spoon meetings And the family's looking at her going, we're going to what? (laughs) And she told them, she said, whoever holds the spoon gets to talk. And we're going to be very, very honest. We're going to to talk to one another Mm -hmm. and say what we like and what we don't like and what needs to change. And she convinced the family to do this. And this family to this day still uses that. The spoon mentality. That's all, that's <laughs> that's awesome. That's really good. Um, for any students listening here to this um, to this episode, what can what advice can you give them to overcome this homesickness? You know, the best thing that they can do, even throughout the entire exchange, uh-huh. is get busy, get involved, join the clubs, join the sports. Whether you've played basketball or football or volleyball. It does not matter. Mm-hmm. Most of you are going to be placed in small towns. And in small towns, they absolutely love the exchange students, mm-hmm. especially those that, that can play soccer because they like them for kickers <laughs> for the football team, which I could tell you stories about my Egyptian son on that one. But yeah. the um, the thing is, is to get involved. Get involved. Start making friends. 
And the more friends you make and the more active that you are, the less likely the homesickness is going to take over. Okay. Makes uh, makes good sense. It's it's just like, uh, in a way, overcoming culture shock, right? The, the busier you are, the uh, you just don't have any 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 room to think about how, how homesick you might be, because that's what you're aiming at, I guess. It is. And what I try to tell the students when they first get here, I'll meet with the students or I'll call and talk to them. Uh-huh. And I, I, I try to get them to understand, you know, this is this is a difficult time. I mean, you just left everything you've ever known. But I promise you, I can guarantee that if your year is successful, when you go home, it's going to be harder than what you're going through right now. Mm. Because then you're going to experience what is called reverse culture shock. And I get them to start looking at that about January or February. Mm. Yeah, makes makes good sense. It's uh, that's all that's uh, culture shock is is something that a lot of people uh, are familiar with, or at least have heard or can place when they hear the term. But reverse culture shock is something that a lot of people don't even think about. Because uh, I think that the, the homestayers are not 100% interested in, in hearing all your stories that you've been through, let alone all the uh, the photos you've taken, the 5,000 photos, um, stuff like that. Exactly. You, you mentioned that most of the students go to, um, to smaller towns, so it's not like um, if I would be young and I would be a student, I cannot opt for a, a downtown Manhattan apartment or something like that. No. 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 <laughs> okay. No. No. Now, we do have with our program, because we are so large, Uh that with our program and and with our partners overseas, the kids are offered that they can choose their three top states that they would like to be in. But as far as that, it does not, the towns, you could land anywhere, which most likely will be small towns because the, the mentality in America People in large towns and in large cities mm-hmm. do not want to take on the responsibility of another teenager. Mm-hmm. They already feel for the safety of their own children. They don't want the responsibility of another one. And that getting into um, cities is, and even into the schools, because the schools are so overcrowded mm-hmm. that they don't want the exchange students. Right. So most likely it's going to be small to mid-sized towns. Okay. What are, what are the three most popular states then? You know, that would be, um, if I had to say, in fact, oh, I don't have my paper in front of me. I, I have a list of, of the um, states as where they rank as far as hosting exchange students. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really kind of funny because it's not what you would think. You would think that it would be California, exactly. New York, yeah. places like that. No, it is more of the Midwest. That's awkward. What? Okay, that's that's interesting to hear. Midwest would be like Illinois and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting to hear. We we talked a lot, or you talked a lot about uh, the students. What what does a typical host family look like? <laughs> there is no typical one. There okay. really isn't. Um, I have had I've had young couples host. Um, I've had single people mm-hmm. host, um, people with young children. Like for me, exa- example, when I started, my oldest son was only in the first grade. My youngest was three years old. Mm. And um, I've had people with teenagers, 
people that have uh, that their grandparents they're empty nesters in fact i had one um couple that had never had children all they ever did was host and they started hosting they were in arizona and they started hosting when they were in their 30s i finally made them retire when they got into their 80s I made them retire. It was like it's time that you, you and Dottie go and enjoy your life, and no more kids. So they they went from uh, from host parents to host grandparents almost. Yes, they did. Okay. Now you've been doing this for twenty five years since you started in nineteen ninety. You have seen these kids grow up as well. Is there any significance that they sort of uh, carry with them after an experience like this? Are they different? They are. Uh-huh. Because, you know, when you go and and live in a country in a in a in a different culture, mm-hmm. you are going to be changed. And and these kids coming here to the United States, or kids coming going to other countries from the United States, your your life is impacted in a way that you cannot describe it. It's just. It changes your perspective and you have a a connection so that when you are talking to someone and they might have something negative to say and you're like, well, wait a minute, have you been there? Mm. And when they say no, it's like, well, then you don't know what you're talking about. Because I lived there for a while and it was was really kind of funny. Uh, the, The best thing I can say is I hosted a girl from Brazil um, Carolina, and she was a twin. Her twin sister was in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Now she's in Idaho. Her twin sister is in Alabama. So they each had their own unique experience, uh-huh. and they came together. They really struggled because her sister had that Southern accent, <laughs> really strong, and was trying to speak speak Portuguese with a Southern accent. <laughs> But she had also learned a different perspective on things than Carolina had learned with us. Mm-hmm. That's that's so a good story. Very unique. Yeah. Um, what what is the most remote country or student from a remote country that you've hosted or the organization has hosted? Wow, that would be a hard one to say because I've had we've had students from the former Soviet Union. We've had students from Albania. Um, we've had students from, wow, Indonesia. Or, or maybe maybe I can rephrase this question rather than looking at it, at it geographically, like remote culturally, remote from the U.S. culture, the United States. That would be the former Soviet Union. Okay, so, so what, what do you see as, a di- as, as one of the biggest differences there? Well, I can tell you the experience. Um, about 10 years into the program with the former Soviet Union after the wall disbanded, we took a, a group of these kids and um, we brought them all together and to prepare them for going home. And we divided them up by countries. We each took a, a, the, the group from their country and we asked them all the same question. And the one question that we asked was, what is the one thing that you will take from America? Mm-hmm. What, what's the one thing that that you will insist upon living when you go back home? Mm-hmm. And unanimously across the board, the kids all responded with the same response. 
I'm going to smile. <laughs> and can you elaborate on that? Why will they smile? Because in the former Soviet Union, if you're smiling, there was something wrong with you. People would walk clear around on the other side of the street to avoid you because you were mentally ill. So can you imagine these 15, 16, 17 year olds, they arrive into the United States, they get off of a plane and what do they get off of a plane into? Uh, All these smiling faces. Yeah. Because in America, you're smiling. And that was one of the hardest things for those kids to overcome. Right. The, the other thing that was very, very difficult for them and for host families was that in the, in the former Soviet Union, it is polite to be blunt. So, for example... If mom fixed a meal and you tasted it and you didn't like it, you pushed the dish away and you went, I don't like this. Mm -hmm. Well, in America, that is not acceptable. It's not acceptable. No. <laughs> that is not taken very well. And so it took time to sit down with the student and the family and to learn these things ourselves right. of how to help these kids and how to help these families. But it was very, very difficult for families and for students. In, in, in what way, Teresa, do you prepare the families and or the students for these cultural differences before they come? Oh, we do our best, but I mean, sometimes you're talking individuals, but what we do is um, we have a, a host family manual mm -hmm. and we have a student manual. Okay. And so when a host family decides they're going to host, one of the things we do is we give them a host family manual, but we also give them information about the culture of that country. And the same thing we do with the student, we give them information about the area they're going to, the host family, we give them the student manual of things that they're going to need to prepare for but the biggest thing is is learning how to mm -hmm. communicate that is the the biggest thing and so for host families we try to get them to understand that you know granted this is a teenager mm -hmm. and in saying that they've been raised a different way in a different culture mm -hmm. you know it's it's kind of like in america We expect our children to say please and thank you. Yep. No matter what. Well, for my Germans, my mm -hmm. German daughters, to say please and thank you was not in their vocabulary. It was just something that was accepted and something that the parents knew and, and the kids knew. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, I, I am thanking you. you. I don't need to say it. Yeah. And so teaching the host families that. Get rid of your expectations. These are things that you're going to have to teach them. If that's what you want the kids to do, you will have to teach them. And letting the kids know, you have to get rid of the expectations of, of what you think you're coming into and realize that there's things that you're going to be changing and things that you're going to be learning because it is your responsibility to adapt to the family and to the lifestyle. Okay. Can you, can you give us some other like cultural issues that students and host families encounter? No. Okay. <laughs> Brazilians. Yeah. Brazilians. I love my Brazilians. I have four daughters and a son. God help me. Yeah. And um, Brazilians are, 
you look at their country and you look at their culture, it's very hot and very humid. So it is not uncommon to take two and three showers a day because of, of the humidity in yeah. the country. And so they come here and they fully, I mean, it's just something they've always done. And so they continue to take two and three showers a day. And of course, the host families don't get paid. And so that water bill and that electricity bill starts to rise. So they have to sit the kids down and go, you know, you don't need three showers a day. Mm. Once a day is enough. And 15 minutes is plenty. You don't need an hour in the shower. <laughs> yes. The, the um, students from Asia, quite often in Asia, they have their bathrooms to where you take a shower and there's a drain in the middle of the floor mm-hmm. and you get water everywhere. Yeah. So they come here and, and they, get, they don't close the curtains. They take their showers. They get water everywhere. And they can't figure out why the host family is so upset <laughs> that the floor is wet. Ukraine. But- yeah. You, oh, you've Ukraine. got a li- you, have, you have a whole list, actually. <laughs> I do. I yeah. do. Okay, go the, on, please. The, the Ukraine, um, and this was back in the the nineteen nineties and then and early two thousand. So it might have changed since then. But in the Ukraine, especially in the villages, they only have hot running water one hour a week. Mm. So everybody's going to take their showers and do their laundry during that time. In between, they hand wash their things and hang them to dry. So teaching these students that we have a washing machine, we have plenty of hot water, you don't need to wash your pants and your clothing by hand and hang them up all over the room. We can wash them and dry them. And the kids struggled with that because that's all they knew. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very different. It, there seems to be like such everyday things that tend to be so uh, so 180 degrees different, right? Exactly. Yeah. I could tell you a story about a Ghanaian boy. Yes, please. He came to a family in Montana. Yeah. And um, they had adopted a little boy from... Um, Oh, another country. I can't think of it now. But anyway, they took the boy from Ghana. And he came in. Well, being Ghanaian, they do speak English, but it's British English. Yes. And it was a very strong accent. But um, he was very, very respectful. And the host father, on his way out the door to go to work, the, the mother said, grab the garbage. And so he grabbed the garbage, Mm -hmm. and that young man had a fit. He was very indignant Mm -hmm. that the mother would even suggest that the father take out the garbage, and the father to do it was just unbelievable. That was just unrealistic. You're talking talking about the uh, the host family here. Yes. Yes. The, The student was having a really hard time. And so, I mean, he told the host family, he, 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 you know, he stood up and he says, no, this is not right. right. No, no, the men do not take out the garbage. <laughs> Only women take out garbage. Only yeah. women do these things. And the host mom looked at him and smiled and said, well, here in America, men are women too. <laughs> and it took him quite a while to understand that 
in America, a husband and wife is a team. Yeah. Because in his family, his father had many wives, and the father ruled and was waited upon, but he did not do any kind of work in the house. Yep. So it's, I was going to say it sounds almost familiar in my experience um, as well. Uh, I have I, I want to sort of uh, move to a to a, a different direction here, and um, also because we've been um, you've been on the uh, uh, in the interview already like thirty minutes, thirty plus minutes or something. Because I have another prominent qu- or question on my mind actually is is that are current geopolitical issues a challenge for you and your organization? I mean, because I I, I guess. What you're trying to um, advertise, quote unquote, is the United States of America, mm-hmm. and is that is that in a squeeze at this time? No, you know it's it's really kind of funny because you, when when nine eleven happened, uh-huh. that really did um, affect the programs for that one year, and um, since then, n- no, because. Most of the kids who are coming over from another country, they know that they're going to get placed in small towns or or in um, mid-sized towns. And so most of the families, the parents over there, are not concerned for the safety of their kids, Mm -hmm. which is a good thing for us um, because they shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. But the political part, that really has not had any effect mm. that that's good so the the, the 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 students actually they don't see or they don't feel current um uh i'm not gonna say crisis but geopolitical tensions i think that they they hear what their parents have to say so they might have had some discussions and uh-huh. and again i could i could give you a huge example but the once they come and they they get involved in the communities and stuff. They see things for themselves. Mm-hmm. That's one of the wonderful things about teenagers is they really don't like to listen to what mom and dad have to say. They want to experience it themselves. Mm-hmm. So by them coming over here, most of them are pretty open to seeing things from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Sounds sounds good, and it also sounds promising, and I think that's uh, that's that's really important. Um, Teresa, I have two more questions left for you. One might be the most difficult one, uh, which is the following: Can you give us, the audience, and myself three tips to become more culturally competent from your experience? Get rid of common sense. Common sense does not exist when you're talking about cultures. What's common sense for one is not common sense for another. Okay. Be open to communicating. What I mean by that is just because someone comes across very curt or very cold does not mean that they don't like you or that they they are angry with you. Listen. Hmm. Listen. And you will find that it's just part of their culture. Yeah. And the third thing that I to to me is be willing to learn. Be willing to see through the eyes of someone else. Those are the three things I would say. 
Wonderful. I'm making notes when you're uh, when you're you're, you're speaking. Actually, wonderful things um, you just mentioned. They'll will be in the show notes as well. So if you didn't get them, you can always go back to culturematters.com and find the uh, this podcast that you're currently listening to. Teresa, uh, last question. This is an easy one. If people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that best? Oh my goodness, they can do it by email mm-hmm. at Teresa T E R E S A at isausa.org or they can call me toll free 844-556-6688 one more time please 844-556-6688 and can people dial that from outside the US as well oh Ooh. I am not sure if they could or not they better stick with the email <laughs> That's always a struggle. For calling uh, toll-free numbers from outside the U.S. is uh, doesn't always work, or for some countries might never work because they're they're free numbers. So you'd need um, uh, actually a, a location a landline like that, something like that. But we'll figure that out. And if you um, if you do have that, Teresa, then it can be found back on the uh, either on your website, which is isesusa.org, uh, or otherwise we'll uh, we'll pop it here in the in, in the show notes. Thank you, Teresa, for for sharing what you've shared with us. I think it's a wonderful initiative and uh, for, I guess, the host families and for the students as well. Um, Thank you for sharing the stories as well. And I'm pretty sure we'll bump into each other in the future. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Teresa, again for the interview and uh, sharing all the experiences and stories that you had. I hope you enjoyed listening to this interview. We will be back in another two weeks with another guest on the Culture Matters podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode. The Culture Matters podcast, helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences.